Hi, and welcome to The Thriving Entrepreneur. She's Rochelle Learling. He is David Foster. And today, you know, today we're really talking about like a, a simple diagnosis. We're always trying to improve our businesses. We're always trying to make things better, make more money, hopefully work less at our business. And so things like time to market, our operating expenses, our cost per sales, those are all things that we want to watch. Because if we're slow or things are expensive or something like that, our business is at a disadvantage. And so maybe with a small spoonful of tough love, we are asking our audience and entrepreneurs out there to possibly look at where they might be the bottleneck in their business. And that can manifest in a lot of different ways. It can be in a process. It can be in how things get done or not get done. But that's really what we want to take apart today and talk about how to make it better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Bottlenecks are those invisible things that keep us from going where we want to go while we're just eagerly pushing forward with the business. And I guess it's just really, really important to, to get clear and, and conscious of what those bottlenecks in your business might be. And indeed, if you are one of those bottlenecks as well, and cover that and tackle that in order for the business to grow and for you to have a smoother role within the business. Right. Because there's a difference between a bottleneck in a business and a bottleneck that is caused by the founder of the entrepreneur. And we're yes. really looking at the second one mm -hmm. today. Yeah. That if somebody is leading a business, are they doing something to make it less efficient, more expensive or slower? Right. Well, and unintentionally, obviously. Let's hope unintentionally, mm -hmm. right? Because the intentional, all right, fair enough. We're gonna say the intentional ones we're not gonna handle. No. If you're trying to slow your business down, we may not have any advice for you in that regard. <laughs> but what's the evidence of a bottleneck, right? Like mm -hmm. what's the difference between just this is how long it takes or there's a problem and there's something that a founder or an entrepreneur does that makes things more difficult. Right, so basically you're saying like, what's the difference between a real bottleneck that might be unintentionally caused by a business owner versus something that's just a challenge or something that's friction, like a one-off. Right. Yeah, I would say that a bottleneck is rather a pattern or a behavior in a certain manner, in a certain context of the business mm -hmm. that just keeps on showing up. So like a, an, all, an ongoing delay or communication that's really, really um, hard or complex because there's many people involved. The process itself is unsmooth and complex because there is mm -hmm. a bottleneck. Whereas with a one-off, I would say it's just like, you know, something gets delayed or something. But with a bottleneck, I would say it's definitely clear that the person involved is obstructing the efficiency or the flow or the speed of a process. And it's rather a pattern. What would you say? Yeah, you know, I think we come at this from two different angles, which again is a benefit for people listening. The first thing that came to mind is employee feedback. So in other words, if you have a decent relationship with your employees and coworkers and executive team and whoever you've got. And they are able to independently say, you know, something similar, then that is a time to let your ego go for a walk for a few minutes and just think about, gee, is there something that I'm doing or not doing that is causing this problem? And employees are not always correct. They're always looking at it from their point of view, but their point of view is necessarily not yours. So I think there's a lot of value in that. And of course, this comes to the leadership point where you have to make it okay for employees to say, you know what, 
it, it seems like this takes an awful lot of time and not sure that there's a benefit to it. Mm. And I think that also like depending on your industry, looking at competitors or people who do something similar is a good way to gauge, well, is our process, you know, in line with that? It may not be exactly perfect and you may not do exactly the same thing, but it's good to, it's good to compare. And then another thing that struck me is put it down on paper. What's happening? If you've got a project, and like you said, it's usually a pattern. If you've got something that happens over and over, write it down, put times next to how long everything takes, write arrows, figure out what actually happens. And then I think one other thing that can be evidence of a bottleneck that an entrepreneur or founder creates is somebody else's take on it, analysis, something like that. And, you know, you have to be secure enough and vulnerable enough to have somebody come and say, you know what? Maybe it shouldn't take you three and a half weeks to review a social media post. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are the first things that come to mind in terms of being able to self-diagnose, which is always a tricky thing. Right. Yeah. So it's like a combination as well of systems and processes that might, as you said, like compared to competitors or compared to the market, be not as fast or as, as yeah smooth. But there's always this human element involved of that person mm -hmm. being stuck or being part of that process and that in itself is already causing it to be delayed all the time or that causes it to be uh, super complex for it to actually be launched for instance yes i completely agree and, and if we're going to talk about process you know i don't think a bottleneck is a very simple thing mm -hmm. so i don't think that somebody designs or writes or creates something and then it goes to somebody else for, you know, electrical review or coding or something like that. And then you as the founder entrepreneur have to make sure that it fits within the realm of the company's brand, whatever the thing is. And I don't think it's that, you know what, Rochelle, instead of taking two days, this should only take 15 minutes. Because oftentimes the bottlenecks are created by people who run businesses by having processes that don't work or hiring people that don't exactly fit the function of what needs to happen inside the business mm -hmm. or not giving them enough ownership and control. And so somebody who's leading a business can say, well, this would go a whole lot faster if David just did his job. But if I don't have what I need to do that job, if I don't have a decision, if I don't have access to resources, if I actually don't have the time and those things are controlled by the founder, well, yes, in some ways you are the bottleneck there, mm -hmm. even though it's manifesting as somebody else struggling, if right. that makes sense. Definitely makes sense. And in that sense as well, it's really hard to uncover these kinds of bottlenecks because it's very, very indirect, as you said, like it, it's caused by, or you can see it at somebody's end where it's actually caused by the entrepreneur, for instance. And thus it makes it really hard to put blame on somebody, right? Because in the end, what we're saying here is like, well, look at yourself, business owner, look at yourself, founder, CEO, but it might not be that hard to, or not that easy to, to show and, and see that as a problem. So is it then the, the business owner or the founder who needs to be facilitating contexts or employees or their roles or process within a certain range so that it's easier for them to actually manage something? 
So there's no, mm-hmm. there's no obstruction. Is that what we're saying? We're saying you should be facilitating better? In some ways, yes. And obviously that's limited by company resources and the capacity of the individual employee or the group. But, you know, a lot of times when, a lot of times when I want to approach this idea of a founder or entrepreneur participating in what makes a process not work, gently put, I want to stay away from that angle because, you know, it's very easy for somebody to say, hey, look, I'm not a micromanager. Mm -hmm. I don't micromanage people. Fair enough. That may be their understanding and maybe they truly try not to micromanage. But if you come from the other side and you say, tell me about how much ownership each employee has or each team has. Tell me that the process can happen really while you're on vacation for three weeks. And if it doesn't work, well, we don't have to call it micromanaging, but there's something like that going on. Mm-hmm. Maybe you've hired somebody that doesn't have the skill set yet. Maybe the process is such that they don't have the authority. Maybe there's something missing in there. And exactly like you said, like it's not always clear, but there are a lot of tendrils and organizational arrows that head to the founder or entrepreneur who's putting this stuff together. Mm-hmm. It's not easy, but it's not as difficult as having something that doesn't work and participating in, well, a bottleneck in your own business. Right. So then once you uncover this bottleneck or at least say, hey, I have to admit that maybe I am involved in this and I'm actually causing this to be harder, less efficient, all that stuff. Then the next step is like, how do you treat this? Right. Because it's not like a something that you just put a bandaid on. It's rather some sort of your involvement is causing this to be slowed down or for instance. So then what do you do? What do you do with this process? Or what do you do with this person not being able to, as you said, like have the authority to make this decision without you being involved? Well, I would almost go a step further because I always, I always try to get people to see or to take the point of view that, yes, this is your responsibility, if not fault, or I'm going to take ownership of this and not take ownership of this like, well, she never gets it done on time, so I'm just going to do it because it's easier than trying to review three different versions of this. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about exactly what you were saying. Maybe I have a part in this. Well, let's not say maybe anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's say you have a part in this. Yeah. And in many cases, the founder entrepreneur is running the business in some way. And running the business is completely different than doing the thing that is, you know, slow or expensive or whatever. And I think part of how do you make a change is figuring out why it's happening in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I think there's some psychological reasons. We've already mentioned the ego. We've got two episodes on it. If you haven't listened, go back and take a listen because there's no possible way that our egos don't affect us when we work. Mm -hmm. I think there's also this... Even in young companies, this is the way we've always done it. And that carries so much weight, especially in a startup kind of environment, Mm -hmm. right? It's almost like a startup hangover. Like the three of you at the Starbucks or in the garage, all hands on deck, that exciting time. Even if you have 50 employees, that's a hard thing to let go of. A founder's wife once talked to me and said, you know, we have this big company 50 or 60 million dollars. So it was big to them. And she can't talk her husband out of thinking that he's still at a card table in their spare bedroom. Hmm. 
you got to realize that your job changes as a founder and entrepreneur as the business grows. So my first... Yes, long soliloquy for which I apologize, but I think the first thing is to look at those reasons. Like why why is this possibly happening? Because you don't want to just try to force some kind of change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes total sense. So you're actually going back to this process or this thing happening situation and kind of distill everything, just kind of makes sense of what's really happening there and what causes this to be delayed or what caused the inefficiencies and just put it all on, on open. I would say like almost like a blueprint on the table and then yeah. see how that relates to you. Like, where are you in this position? Or is it that you have to make those decisions and thus it's uh, delayed? Or is it that as you, say, you, you don't have the authority given to those employees or what have you done to the culture that enables them to, to think and act a certain way that doesn't really help in terms of getting the output out there? So it's like, I would say like almost analyzing the whole situation and then putting yourself in that picture and saying, okay, so that leads back to me, almost reverse engineering that. I love the idea of the blueprint. I don't talk about blueprints. I talk about schematics. Sure. Same thing. I've been helping somebody with the blueprint or the schematic of uh, one of their businesses. And as we were going through it and I was making questions and suggestions about how to put this together, she said, well, wait a minute if we do this, what do I do? <laughs> and I said, well, you just make sure that it runs correctly. Like you're the, you're the guiding force. You're the person looking out for new opportunities. You're figuring out how to make it better. How does this process work with another process? Like this should be able to run completely without you. And you can use any manner of analogies. You know, when, when you go to buy a Tesla, it's not like Elon Musk checks in. You okay with the price? That you're okay? All right did it come on time? Like, no, like he doesn't, he doesn't have any idea. I'm not saying you have to be detached. I'm saying that you want to build something that runs without, without your involvement. And I also, I mean, you hit on a really key point about culture. Is the culture that you built dependent on your approval, involvement, knowledge, participation, something like that? Mm -hmm. Or can your team, no matter how big or small it is, just do the thing that it is supposed to do in a profitable and cooperative and collaborative way? Yeah. That's a really big question. Yeah. And then going back to what you said, like, what do I do now <laughs> once it's all in place? I think that's also part of this whole thing, right? Because you need that involvement. If you go back to the ego episode, where is your role? And it should not be there just for you to have something to do. Like step out if you can not stay if you want to. That that doesn't really go if you want to scale. So I guess that's also part of it. Like, do you need to be involved or is it just that's how we did things around here up until now? It's a really, really good question. And you know, it's a balance because it's not like one day you're a founder and there's only a few people and it's all hands on deck and you're doing everything. And then the next day you're just the guiding force and the business operates almost like independently of your daily involvement. It happens gradually and finding that balance of how much to do, you know, there's a real trick to that. Mm -hmm. But the only way to find that balance is to constantly look at it and constantly make adjustments, just like balancing anything else, like riding a bike. You want those inputs so you know where to lean to make sure that you that you stay upright. And I think you've asked a really good question too. Look at what's happening and say, is there something that you can do or not do or do differently that would make the whole thing 
faster and less expensive and more efficient with the same practical result. Mm-hmm. And the answer is probably yes. That's basically your role. <laughs> to make yes. sure everything goes really quickly and fast and, and smooth and then optimize everything to make it even smoother. So, yeah. And, and, a, and a founder or an entrepreneur has to be, well, they don't have to be. But in order to achieve this balance as the business grows, the founder or entrepreneur has to be okay with things that work that aren't the exact same way that they would do them. Yeah. So if you wouldn't pick that color, that font, that packaging, that website call to action, whatever it is, and it gets good results and it's profitable and it's within the, let's say the structure of the brand, but you would actually do something different, that's your role. Let it be. That's your role to cover that. You know, I think another question to ask is for a founder to sit down and say, all right, Blue Sky, I'm going to design the ultimate process. Mm -hmm. How do I want this to work? Or what is the best way for this to work, especially without my involvement? See how close you can get to that. Keep that little document or idea and see if you can constantly move closer to it with this idea of, well, how much can be done without me? Yeah, I love that. And Rochelle, you make a really, really good point. Like, because the founder's job changes over time, they have a lot to do. Mm-hmm. It's just different than copy me on every email to that client. So I, so it goes the way I think it should go. That's not going to work really well. No. And then we have to look at the bigger scheme and say, it's not about you. It's about the business purpose and about the business v- vision and mission and, and going out there and achieving that rather than you just being out there and being visible. Because that's how we get cut up in these things. Yeah. And there's a quote out there, something about to find fault is easy, but to, to be better or do better is difficult. Mm-hmm. That really gets at the heart of all this. Because if, if you can let go of those things that at the very least you used to be involved in and get comfortable with delegation and giving other people ownership and accepting your own responsibility to really lead as opposed to do or stand over somebody's shoulder to make sure that they do, that brings you success. Hmm. And being able to embrace that change, you know, some, there's, there's some challenges to that. I've had more than one person say to me, oh, wow, this feels really weird. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it does. But is it working better? Yes, it works better, but it feels really weird. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's keep going. Let's take the next step. Yeah. It's a change of identity and a change of responsibilities in the way you address the company. You're, you're no longer hustling at the forefront. You're now the facilitator of it all. And what I really, really like as an analogy is um, the orchestrator of a concert. Mm-hmm. So you have the crowd sitting there, you know, the audience, and then you have your musicians playing. You're the orchestrator. The orchestrator doesn't look at the audience. He doesn't like smile and, you know, entertain them. He rather turns towards those musicians, make sure that they are aligned, doing the right thing at the right moment, and everything is just smooth so that mm-hmm. they can serve the audience. And I think that's how you have to look at your role from now. How can I help optimize my musicians and, and make their music even better? That's a really great analogy. And it is true that you used to be the best fill-in-the-blank player, right? The first cello seat or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But that's not how it works anymore. No. Now, with some people, being some version of a solopreneur, like this is what I'm doing and I can contract out some help for the things that I don't do that well or I don't want to do, that's something completely different. Mm -hmm. But if you have employees and revenue and your business is growing, 
your role changes over time. And in some ways, there's no way that you're not the bottleneck every once in a while. Yeah. So what do we leave people with? Is there anything concrete that we can give them? Well, I think we leave them with some questions, right? And I think one of those questions is, is there something that I can do or not do or do differently that makes things faster? I think the other question that came to mind right away is to basically like draw out the process and possibly even show it to somebody that you trust see if there's a way to change it and see if there's something in there that slowing the whole thing down. Yeah. And if you feel there's some friction within a process and it's not going as smooth as it could be going, reverse engineer that, as we said, like put it on the scheme or a blueprint or something and, and see mm-hmm. where it leads up and where it ends up. And if that's you or your involvement, then that's something you got to change. Right. Yeah. And I, one other thing that we talked about, employee feedback. Yeah. Like making employee feedback okay. And I can't tell you how many times I've run into that the founder or entrepreneur who owns the business thinks that it's completely open and the employees are at the very least reluctant, if not scared, to say anything that they think that the founder is not going to like. That takes hard work, but there's a gold mine of information in there and you got to get to the point where that's open or there's going to be some pretty serious consequences. Yeah. Constant feedback, constant communication is the only way to, to make this better, smoother, more efficient. And thus, there's no way around it. Asking for feedback for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, those are some practical steps to take. Hopefully the uh, teaspoon of tough love was well received, <laughs> dear listener. And keep us posted with your ideas and questions because we use them for the episodes. Thank you very much. And we'll talk to you again in two weeks. Talk later. Thank you for listening. If you're an accomplished founder in a leadership position and want experience, guidance and support, contact David on davidafoster.com. And if you're an entrepreneur with a team who wants to be more in control of your business and your life and want to explore coaching, contact Rochelle on growtribute.com. You can find links to contact us in the show notes of every episode. We appreciate your listening.